prayers. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you're someone who sometimes finds prayer to be difficult. Uh, if you are, then guess what? You're probably not alone. Uh, there are a lot of things that can get in the way of us having a healthy prayer life. And uh, I'm thinking particularly that uh, life can sometimes just be too busy. And you know what they say, don't they? That uh, if you're too busy to pray, then you are too busy. But uh, sometimes it's the, all of the demands of, of things like work and family and uh, other commitments that uh, kind of just squeeze out our prayer lives uh, so that they can fade away. Uh, sometimes it's not prayer in general that we find difficult. Sometimes we find it hard to keep on praying for particular things and for particular people. Uh, perhaps there's something which you've been praying about for a while and over time nothing seems to happen. Uh, maybe it's a chronic health problem or the conversion of someone whom you love or some disappointing life circumstance where you feel a bit trapped and there just seems to be no relief. And so over time uh, we might just accept, well, hey, this is actually God's will and we'll leave it at that. Or we might even doubt the value of our prayers. Is God really listening? Does, he re does, does prayer actually achieve anything? Is it even worthwhile praying? Or just human nature, we can simply just lose heart and prayers for that person or for that issue just fade away and we move on to praying for other things. It's hard to keep on praying when our prayers appear to be unanswered. Have you found that? Well, if you have, you're in good company because, uh, in, in fact, Jesus envisaged that even the very first disciples, the people who were with him for three years, that uh, they would have this very issue. And so uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and you might want to have that open in front of you, he told his disciples a parable. Now, before we get into the parable, why did he tell them this parable? What does it say in verse 1? He told them this parable so that they should always pray and not give up. Sounds like the kind of parable we need to hear, doesn't it? So that they should always pray and not give up. So in verses 1 to 8, he tells a story about two very different people. Uh, they are different for one reason, because of their status. Uh, the first person is a, a man who is a judge, he's a local magistrate, and so therefore he has very high status within his community, he's a very powerful person. The other person is the opposite, she's a widow. And in, in biblical times... Uh, the widow was uh, the symbol. She was the epitome of helplessness. And this lady is helpless because someone, at least from her perspective, has wronged her and she can't get justice by herself. And so she turns to this judge to hear her case. Now, notice how the judge is described. 
Uh, in verse 2, there, is, there are two things about this judge. Number one, he did not fear God. And number two, he did not care about people. Imagine you go to the local courthouse and uh, you've got a problem and you meet up with the local magistrate and he says to you, look, before we get started here, there's two things about me that you need to know. Uh, number one, I couldn't care less about God. And number two, I couldn't care less about you. <laughs> How would that be? Now, he doesn't actually say that to this lady, uh, but uh, it is Jesus' assessment of him. And in verse 4, that's his own self-assessment as well. Uh, he, this guy's really in touch with who he is as a person and what motivates him. He couldn't be bothered with this widow, but guess what? She couldn't stop bothering him. Now, she probably didn't have enough money to offer him a bribe, which might have lubricated this uh, legal hearing. But uh, although refusing to hear her case, well, have a look at what he says in verse 5. In verse 5, uh, he says, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, that word, the, the term there, wear me out, apparently the original is a little bit more, more violent, more aggressive than that. It's actually a term which is borrowed from the boxing ring. Uh, not that she was actually violent, but apparently this is what worried the judge. He's thinking to himself, if I don't give this woman what she's asking for, there's no telling what she's going to do. I might even end up with a black eye. And so, you know, friends, once again, uh, what we see here is Jesus, the master storyteller. What's he done? He has captured his audience. He has ensnared his audience. Everyone is listening. They want to know where is he going with this story? What is his point? Well, the point's pretty clear. If this godless, uncaring judge made sure that justice was served, then how much more will God bring about justice? Now, notice who he's referring to in verses 7 and 8. In verse 7, uh, Jesus says, uh, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? who cry out to him day and night, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, the, the baseline issue which we all face as God's people is that we live in a fallen world. Uh, in a world where uh, we're living amongst people who do not fear God. We live in a world where there is suffering of many kinds. Uh, we live in a world where there is sometimes even persecution. But we also live in a world where we know that God has promised that he has a plan. And it's a plan which involves God putting an end 
to the suffering of those who love and trust him. Um, Last Sunday, Peter took us through chapter 17. In chapter 17, verse 22, we saw that Jesus uh, said to his disciples that uh, he was going to die and he would leave them and there 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 would come a time when they would long for just one of the days of the Son of Man. And uh, take it to mean that uh, what Jesus is saying there is that uh, Jesus will no longer be with his disciples but, and that they would be longing for a time when he would be with them. Uh, but as we await his coming again, then we still live in this world. We still in this world, live in this world where there is suffering and where there is even persecution. That is our lot between the first and the second comings of Jesus. And we cry out to God, don't we? We cry out to God, come, Lord Jesus, come. And guess what? He has not come. Not yet, anyway. Uh, the, the book of Psalms is filled uh, It is replete with the prayers of suffering believers who feel that their prayers have been unanswered. So Psalm 13 that Brett read to us earlier on is is just like that. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Uh, Every day I've got sorrow in my heart. How long will you allow my enemy to triumph over me? And you can feel the frustration there, can't you? the anguish and the, the, uh, the disappointment. But he finishes the psalm with confidence. He finishes the, calm, the psalm uh, by saying, but I trust in your unfailing love. That is, that although there is no justice as yet, that you are somehow working out your purposes and I know that your purposes are good. If even the unjust judge dishes out justice, then how much more will our, love, our God be merciful to those who cry out to him? So I think this is the, the point that Jesus is making in these first eight verses. But then in, in verses 9 through to 14, we see that mercy of God, which is being depicted for us in another story. Uh, It is a parable, a parable which is both on the one hand uh, deeply challenging and on the other hand it is immensely comforting. Now I I think it's true to say that uh, in all likelihood our private prayers to God, the prayers that we pray when it's just us alone talking to God, that uh, those prayers, if we were to know what each other prayed, those prayers would reveal uh, who we are as persons and what is truly important to us in a way that public prayers may sometimes not do so. The the issue, though, with private prayers is that by their very nature they're private and uh, so it's us and God who knows Uh, what it is that we pray in private. Uh, Here in this parable that Jesus tells, we get to eavesdrop on the prayers of two 
individual men. And these men are both very different men. Uh, And you see, they're different for this reason. And that is that although God is merciful, there are religious people, people even in churches and people perhaps even especially in churches, who don't believe that they need God's mercy. They imagine that they are good enough for God, that because of their morality, because of their church attendance, because of their religious practices, that uh, they've made the cut and uh, that they don't actually need God's mercy. And some of the there were people there with Jesus who were like that, and we see that in verse 9, because there Luke tells us to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So that they're the people who he's speaking to. Now, of course, when someone believes that they are good enough for God, then good enough by what standard? Um, by what comparison? Who, who, have they, who have they compared themselves to? Well, probably not God himself. Uh, because if we were to compare ourselves to God, then every one of us falls short. Much easier to compare yourself to other people. And if you're reasonably moral, reasonably religious, it's not too hard to find someone who is less moral and less religious than you are and to compare yourself favourably against them. Uh, One of the things that I've noticed, though, is that people who have this kind of self-righteousness end up becoming um, quite proud of who they are and they can get quite disappointed and quite even critical and judgmental of other people because they need to do that to feed their own sense of being somehow superior and somehow... Um, more righteous than others. Uh, In verse 10, there were two men who went up to the temple to pray. One of them was the Pharisee and the other one was a tax collector. Now, of course, the Pharisees were very religious. They were the religious uh, establishment of the time. Let's look at the prayer of this Pharisee. First of all, what did he pray about? What was it say? He prayed about himself. How about that? He prayed about himself. Now, you know, you'd think that someone who is religious might start their prayer by, by giving thanks, uh, by thanking God for who God is, for what God has done, for the hope that we have in God and for the, the mercies that he gives us. But no, in verse 11, he thanked God not for God, but he thanked God for himself. Let's read verse 11. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and give a tenth of all that I get. I suppose that when our prayers have got too much of the personal pronoun I in them, then that 
could be an issue, couldn't it? And, but this guy was probably honest in his prayer. He probably did fast twice a week, although the law only required him to fast once a year. Um, he probably did, did give a tenth of all that he gets, uh, including the herbs uh, that would have been in his um, windowsill kind of garden thing, although the law only required that certain crops be tithed. Uh, this guy would have been fastidi a fastidious law keeper going over and above what the law actually required, which actually put him over and above your average Jew as well. His problem was not that he was that he was his problem was not that he was not far enough along the road his problem was he was actually on the wrong road um, who's he worshipping himself at the expense of others with God as his audience makes no mention of his own sin but can very easily spot the sins of others and especially this other guy who's in the temple at the same time who's kind of hidden himself a bit further back, this tax collector. Now, tax collectors don't always win popularity contests, do they? Uh, you go to a party, you meet someone new, and you, they say, what's your job? And they, you say, I work for the ATO. Let's just see where that conversation heads. Uh, much worse if you're a tax collector... Uh, in, uh, in Palestine in the first century because uh, you would have been collecting taxes from your fellow Jews to give to the Roman imperialists and you would have been taking a hefty commission for yourself. This man was despised as being a rotten, slimy, lowlife. Uh, normally when someone prayed they would lift up their eyes to the heavens as if talking to God but he couldn't bring himself to do that instead he just beat his chest as a, a symbol of sorrow and his prayer was simple God have mercy on me a sinner and, and actually that can also be translated as God have mercy on me not a sinner, but the sinner. How would you describe his attitude? Proud? Arrogant? Judgmental? I've got a better word. How about helpless? A, a bit like that widow, actually. Helpless. The, the Pharisee wanted to get what he thought he deserved, but this tax collector did not want to get what he knew he deserved. Convicted of his sin, he is a broken man. Now, let's try to imagine what that would be like. Imagine someone who is a, a wealthy exploiter. You don't have to name names here, right? Just imagine someone who's a wealthy exploiter, someone who's greedy, unscrupulous, disloyal, uh, the kind of person who's not even liked by our own society, the kind of person that you might see on the news being hauled up before the Independent Commission Against Corruption or something like that. 
the kind of person who gives the media just loads of material to work with, corruptly living the high life at the expense of others. And now imagine that same person, broken, humbled, repentant, and not just feeling sorry for themselves, but actually begging to God for his mercy. Would you gloat over that? Or would you rejoice for the sake of that person? Rejoice that they've made the start that's needed for a fresh and a new beginning with God. You see, the word mercy here means for God's anger to be removed. And God does that, doesn't he? But not removed. God doesn't remove his anger from us just for his anger to evaporate. No, he removes his anger from us and he places it on the sacrifice, on Jesus by his death on the cross. In verse 14, Jesus says something which would have been unthinkable to some in his audience. He says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now that's great news, isn't it? It's great news that because of God's mercy that the sinner, even the worst of sinners, any person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how they've lived, no matter any person can be forgiven and enjoy the mercy of God and enjoy a relationship with God. Now, that affects our prayer life. In fact, it's the only reason why we can have a prayer life. Uh, when I was growing up, there was a show on TV which was called Bewitched. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, okay. Uh, and, it, you know, you think to yourself, it's fiction, of course. Sometimes you'd love to be Samantha. Samantha was no ordinary housewife. She was a witch. Uh, she was a good witch who... How did she get the housework done, ladies? What did she do? She, she'd only have to wiggle her nose or click her fingers and the, the, uh, the dinner would be on the table. How about that? She could control the impersonal forces of the universe for her own benefit, which is very different from prayer. Although sometimes people think that prayer should be like that. We should just be able to pray for things and we control God. No matter if we've got enough faith, it'll happen. But friends, prayer is not like that. God is not an impersonal force and we do not control God. He is our merciful Heavenly Father who loves for us to, to connect with him, to relate to him, to communicate with him through prayer. Uh, as any parent loves for their child to relate to them. And he invites us 
that no matter what it is that's burdening your heart, he invites you to unburden your heart. He invites us to, to bring our praise, to bring our thanksgiving, to bring all of our joys, and to bring all of our concerns, all of our issues, no matter how big, no matter how small. I used to have a friend who was in a prayer group and whenever we talk about uh, what should we pray for, he'd say, oh, nothing. Uh, my issues are too small for God to have to deal with. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like my issues are too big for God to deal with. No, no issue is too big or too small. He's our heavenly father. In Philippians chapter 4, it's, Paul says that uh, to be anxious in nothing but in everything by prayer and petition, bring your requests to God. And his peace, which we can't even understand, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus that we will keep on trusting in Jesus rather than seeking to solve our problems in our own human way. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, uh, Paul says, Be joyful always, pray Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, which I take it to mean to give thanks even when we th it feels like our prayers are being unanswered. And Paul goes on to say, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That is, if God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us, then... He certainly loves us enough to listen to our prayers. He is not like the unjust judge. He will act, but in his time, for our good and according to his perfect plan. Now, his timing and our timing may not be the same. His plan and our plan may not be the same. His wise understanding of what is good for us and our understanding of what is good for us may not be the same. But he will act. And so, don't lose heart. It is easy to lose heart. And there may be things which, which we have once prayed for very fervently, but over time, as things have not changed, that we stop praying for them. I know for myself there are certain times when I have prayed very um, very deeply, even with tears, for Jesus to come again soon, uh, to bring about God's justice and the fulfilment of his kingdom. And usually there have been times when I've been confronted with or I've been reminded of uh, in a powerful way uh, some great evil, um, some terrible uh, uh, action that has been taken in our world. And I could only say, come, Lord Jesus, come. But uh, then as life has returned to normal, uh, my prayers for the coming again of Jesus have just fallen off the prayer list. As if that is no longer the goal to which all of history is headed 
as if that is not the way that God's justice will ultimately and swiftly come. And so we should be praying for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we pray for our world, we need to see that this is the way that God's justice will be finally uh, executed. But in verse 8, when he comes, the question is, will he find faith on earth? And I, I, want to, I want there to be people who are putting their trust in Jesus when he comes back. Um, I wonder if there are people or things that you have stopped praying for um, because you've given up. Uh, whatever that issue is for you, um, it's time to reignite that prayer, isn't it? Uh, how about the salvation of someone who you love? Uh, your son or your daughter, your brother or your sister, uh, your husband or your wife, uh, your mum or your dad. Um, those people, it might be someone who you used to pray for regularly, uh, that they would uh, put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the line, because there's been no apparent change, uh, you've just lost heart and your prayers for them have faded away from your list of people whom you pray for. Well, uh, brothers and sisters, it's time to start again, isn't it? It's time to reignite uh, our prayers for those people and those issues because, as we're told in verse 1, uh, Jesus wants us to always pray and to never give up praying. Let's pray now, shall we? Father, we want to thank you for the incredible mercy that is so intrinsic to your character. We thank you for that uh, mercy that we see expressed in uh, your kindness towards the tax collector, your kindness to en towards anyone uh, from whom your wrath is removed because it's been placed on Jesus. Father, we uh, thank you that through Jesus that we can enjoy a relationship with you as children to a parent. And we pray that that would be reflected in the way that we relate to you. Uh, Lord, there will be some of us here who um, perhaps haven't been in a regular prayer, have been having a regular prayer life for some time, and we just pray for them, Lord God, that uh, uh, today would be a new beginning. Father, we pray for our, each of us as we reflect on people we really should be praying for, issues we really should be praying for, but we've stopped. Uh, help us to recommit ourselves, Lord God, uh, for the sake of particularly people who are, we love who are not converted, that when the Lord Jesus returns, he will find faith uh, on the earth and faith indeed in those whom we love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.